0: Hey Pacer fans, Alex Golden here. I wanted to let you know about my
2: new blog, The Blue and Golden. If you enjoy reading articles about the Pacers, then subscribe to my Substack, which is 100% free. You can find the blog at theblueandgolden.substack.com or you can follow the link in the description of this podcast. If you enjoy what you're reading on The Blue and Golden, please share the blog with your family and friends. Thanks for your support of not only this podcast, but my written work that can only be found on the blueandgolden.substack.com. Now, let's get back to the show. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. the pace with Alex and Fauci, Alex and Fauci, Alex and Alex, if I put our jacks in the paint, how you gonna stop me, how you gonna stop me, we can go head to head, call out your top three, call out your top three, look at the switch from Buddy Hill, now that boy got three, we got Holly Burton running point, this is the Benedict for the shot, if anybody gonna come in the post, then we got Miles Turner for the block, setting the pace, going to the top, setting the pace, going to the top, this is your number one podcast, sweeping every team, we gon' need a mop. Pacer Nation, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast. Unfortunately, we have to talk about the Pacers' first loss of the season as they fall 112-105 to at home to the Chicago Bulls. And joining me to talk about this game is the highly upset Michael J. Focci. Focci, at least you didn't have to deal with the
3: ballet sports app tonight. No, I didn't. heard enough people in my mentions that that had to deal with Guys, I'm sorry about that. I don't know if anyone thought I worked for Valley or not, but guys, (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. But yeah, as it relates to the game, I'm disappointed. I'm not going to lie. I thought this was a good opportunity for the Pacers to keep this winning streak going and win another one at home. They had been so elite offensively that we kind of probably took it for granted and said, hey, you know what, we really got to shape up defensively. And yeah, I guess tonight they did. But where was the offense, Alex?
2: Yeah, honestly, like let's just put it in perspective here. The Pacers took 88 shots tonight, 46 of them are from three, so over half their shots are from three. Wow. They made 12. When you when you shoot such a poor percentage, 26.1 percent from three, and that's over your, half your shot attempts, then the results of a bad offensive outbreak is what's going to happen. So, the Pacers really struggled offensively in this game. I thought that Chicago controlled the entire pace of the game. Indiana is best when they're able to get out and play a faster tempo. But Chicago, they've got some half-court killers with DeRozan, Levine, and Vooch, and they played the style of play they wanted to play, whereas the Pacers weren't able to get out and run. And this is, I think, where we're running into the biggest problem with this Pacers team. When they're playing their style of basketball, it's a fun brand of basketball to watch. But when they have to adjust and adapt and play someone else's half-court style, it can be very tricky because they don't have a low post presence and very true. they don't have anybody that really can create their own offense and get to the basket. Tyrese can do it at times, but Ben Matherin's their best player to do that. Other than that, a lot of these guys are more beneficiaries of playing mm-hmm. fast and passing the ball. So I felt like this is where we really got to see, okay, stylistically versus some teams, the Pacers
3: are going to struggle. Yeah, no, it's true. And it's, we had seen certain performances to the first two games that unfortunately you can't count on whether it was Bruce Brown scoring 24 points, you know, on the first night, uh, Aaron E. Smith scoring 26 points against the Cavs. You know, those, those are performances that are not going to be there every game. So it's a matter of who else is going to step up. And I think that, you know, the Pacers were we're looking for a little bit more production off the bench tonight compared to last game in the bench was massive against Cleveland that was not really the case tonight I think I think the bench kind of struggled a bit and obviously you know part of that is losing Jalen Smith in this game I don't believe that we've heard anything yet um so I mean we'll we'll touch on him later but I thought the bench was so good against Cleveland that tonight it felt like it was the starters that kind of carried the load a little bit and uh you know we, we we felt that because the bench had been elite so far.
2: Yeah, I'll say this. The Pacers decided to go with a nine-man rotation again, like they did in the first game. No T.J. McConnell. And Mm -hmm. with the way the game was going, I was kind of surprised we didn't see Rick go to T.J. just to try to get some half-court offense because these are the kind of games that T.J. McConnell thrives in. And I'm not sitting here saying, oh, T.J. McConnell needs to be in the game every single time because I understand why they have a tough call with him not being in the rotation. But this was a game where I felt like he can go in there, provide some energy, provide some defense, He's got a chip on his shoulder to prove why he should be out there getting minutes, and we know that that little floater that he hits, that little turnaround jumper, it's it's one of the best weapons this offense has in the half court. They they really should have considered going to him a little bit more instead of playing Bruce Brown out there because I felt like there is enough offensive or lack of offensive talent on Chicago's second unit where you could have easily found someone for McConnell to guard that maybe have been a little bit bigger than him like an Iowa dissonant. I think he would have been able to, to find a way to be effective in that matchup defensively.
3: Yeah. I I think this is, you know, maybe it's easy looking back, but there was definitely an opportunity for TJ McConnell in this game. I felt that he could have brought a spark. And I I just think that the bench kind of struggled overall tonight. And it's not that you need McConnell's scoring, but his playmaking had been fantastic. TJ McConnell actually doesn't have a turnover yet on the year. It's 10 assists, zero turnovers. I think that he's just been a spark for the Pacers. And I mean, Jalen Smith was plus two, but if you go through the rest of the bench, I mean, Neesmith was minus 15 Nemhard, buddy minus two each. I just feel that McConnell was someone who was, I believe, plus 21 last game. So was other people off the bench, but that, that is a a good point by you that I I think that Pacers are going to have to consider that TJ McConnell at times, he's too good to just not make an appearance.
2: Well, and it's just, I think it's gotta be the right timing and, there's there's cases where he doesn't need to play, and you can mm-hmm. have the nine man rotation and it work fine. But I felt like in a game like this where things were mucked up a lot, this is the kind of game that T.J. McConnell thrives in. He's just one of those scrappy guys, gets out there, and it's a division. It's a division game, and I think that when you are familiar with playing a division foe, it goes back and forth. Like we've seen this version of the Bulls for the last three to four years now, and they've given us problems. You know, we we've seen. I think it was the Demar Derozan game winner. Uh, New Year's Year's. Eve that just put a dagger in the heart but then last year the Pacers won the last three games against Chicago as Chicago kind of went through the same thing the Pacers went to two years ago so I feel like this version of Chicago like they're a talented squad and if you let them hang around long enough with DeRozan with Levine they're going to be able to just knock some points in there in the fourth quarter and get to their spots because I felt like you look in the third quarter, their numbers, field goal-wise, percentage was not great. They weren't really doing a whole lot. Booch really did have a good game in this one. He did. And I, and I felt like he kind of controlled some things there. But when you look at the way they were playing with the Rosen and Levine in the fourth quarter, like the Pacers were bad in the fourth quarter. They had their worst offensive outing in the fourth, and they had their worst defensive outing in the fourth. It was like all game long we had kept them under 30, and then the fourth quarter we gave up 30 points. So it's like that's not going to be a recipe for success.
3: No, it's not. I believe the Pacers ended up shooting, I want to say it was either 6 of 22 or or 6 of 23 in the fourth quarter. I mean, just not going to get the job done against anybody. Yeah. But also, and you talk about Vooch, I mean, finishes with 24 points, 17 rebounds. The guy had eight points and six rebounds in the first quarter. It it looked like he was on pace to to have a double-double early on. That can't happen. I just felt that too many times, You know, five offensive rebounds and and it hurt the Pacers very, very much. But one thing that we got to point out is one thing the Pacers did so well, they were through two games leading the NBA in protecting the ball just about 10 turnovers per game. They had 17 turnovers. They actually started the game turning over the first two possessions of the game, which already made me be like, Oh, I don't know. Something feels a little bit different. And I know it was early on. Didn't want to be too pessimistic, but in the end 17 turnovers, you're not going to beat that many teams when you're not protecting the ball and you're not shooting it. Well, we discussed those shooting numbers. I mean, 12 of 46 from three, whoa Chicago they shot six of 17 at least they knew what their limitations were yeah and they only put up 17 we put up nearly 30 more three-pointers than Chicago think about that
2: well that's the thing like they took 70 of their shots inside the three-point line so they know who they are they've got an identity and they play to their strengths like we talked about earlier the Pacers know their identity but they weren't able to play to their strengths because Chicago did control that but yeah, and, and that's that's part of the reason why they had so many turnovers. Like, I think I tweeted it out after Andrew Nembhardt had a great left-handed pass to Jalen Smith where he threaded the needle. It was like a beautiful pass. He ended up having like four turnovers directly after that. Sailed One the next sailed play. deep into the stands. <laughs> yeah, I was like five to seven rows deep into the stands, <laughs> yeah. and he just kind of was like, man, that slipped out of my hands. Okay, that's a fluke thing, you think. And then he ends up trying to be a little too, I would say, cute with the basketball trying to thread the needle a couple more times and just really wasn't a window there for him to get the ball through and he turned the ball over a couple more times and they rightfully had to pull him out. It was just a it was just a, sh- a game that was a bit of a struggle for him there and he had some rough stretches, but he had some good stretches too, like the play where he, Jalen Smith, in the first quarter blocked the shot and oh, saved it from going out mm-hmm. of bounds and he throws it all the way past half court to Tyrese who finds Jalen Smith cutting to the basket on the fast break and rewards him with the layup. It was just like little things like that were really fun to kind of see at the beginning. And, you know, me and you both felt like, okay, Chicago is a team that's, they're one and two coming into tonight. Not a great team, but they're a capable team. But it yeah. felt like this was a great opportunity for the Pacers to start 3-0 and for the first time in a long time, go to Boston with some momentum, and, and just see if they can carry over that momentum from that game Saturday where Tyrese Halliburton was chirping with a fan on the sidelines. And it, it unfortunately did not go that way, but I felt like this was a game the Pacers should have won. They could have won. And they're going to be kicking themselves a little bit for letting this one slip away. I think they will.
3: I think it's a, going to be a little bit of a reality check to say, hey, guys, we're, we're not all the way there yet. we got to play a complete game of basketball. And yeah. I thought they had got out to a better start in the first quarter. You know, they 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 let up 27 points instead of, uh, like, the, the 38 that they had been given up in the first. I thought they played a, a much better third quarter. So we saw they only let up 25. Yeah. But offensively, it was just such a far cry from what we had seen that I think this will be a good wake up call. And I really do think they're gonna get up to play Boston because they're a contender. They're, that's that's a lead. If you want to think of yourself as being a playoff team, hey, Boston's a team that you might play in the first round if you make it. So I think they'll get up for that game. But this was um this was this was a bit of a letdown, and and mm-hmm. it's unfortunate. I think there was a couple calls at the end of the game. You yeah, let me wanna... let me talk to you about that officiating. Got... What did you think about the officiating overall? I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. This was <laughs> this was a a very sloppy game that had you know there were there was a lot of whistles, but towards the end of the game, I I truly believe that that was not a foul on Alex Caruso. I I really do not think so. Caruso stepped on Nemhard's foot. Uh, and you mean Nembhard, foul and oh, Nemhard. Yeah, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. I mean, a a foul that should not have sent Caruso to the line. Rick challenges it. I thought that was the right thing to do of challenging it. Pacers don't win that. Okay. (laughs) Then all of a sudden, you know, you think Buddy gets fouled. You know, there was not a foul, but I don't think that he had enough room to land. I think DeRozan was crowding him. I don't want to be the homer over there. I'm like, what, what I just hate is that it came down to two reviews and we lost both of them. It yeah. was like, you know, you think you might split the reviews, whatever it was. Just I was going through a ton of emotions being dragged back and forth. In the end, it, the Pacers could not overcome, uh, you know, any of the, the, the last attempts in that last final minute of the game. There was a lot of back and forth. I mean, I, I'm going to be honest. I texted you. We were down like seven with like 40 seconds to go. I was like, uh, right, what time do you want to target recording? Of course. Pacers start to come back a little bit like when the game's over. It's like, okay, uh, obviously. That's but what would you know be anyway. Yes.
2: But it, it just I'm never started... gonna record before the final buzzer, just telling never. you. Right
3: what I meant was like, are we doing it right after the game? Or <laughs> do you need like five, ten minutes to grab a snack? Like, what <laughs> might it be? But in the end, the patients dragged us back and forth, but they could not come back from that deficit.
2: Yeah, I definitely felt like the Caruso, you know, the foul call on them hard there to send Caruso to the line. I thought it was 50-50 if we would win or not. It was interesting. Chicago's broadcast felt like he got bailed out on that one as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it probably wasn't, but I don't think there was enough to overturn it. Now, I disagree on the Buddy Hill one. Unfortunately, Buddy Hill, that was just him trying to draw yeah. contact on the three in front of the bench. He knew what the – definitely wasn't touched. No, he, he was not touched. That was the right, correct uh, over call on that one. But I did not like them giving Zach Levine the timeout on that jump ball there at the half court line between him and Nimhard because he really didn't have enough time to have possession of the ball to be rewarded the timeout. I think we see that a lot of times where officials constantly give the benefit of the doubt to the offensive player and and give them the timeout way too early before they really do maintain full possession of a basketball. So it was interesting to kind of see that little scuffle there happen. The Pacers end up getting a technical free throw shot because Levine was called for a tech because he didn't like that Nimhard ended up strength, you know, pulling the ball away from him there Mm -hmm. after they called the timeout and got in his face. Well, then Halliburton misses a a technical free throw. Like that's just not, that was just the kind of night it was when he missed that technical free throw. I said, okay, that's just the kind of night this is going to be. The officiating, it was not great. I'll totally agree with fans on that one, but I don't think it was the reason why this team lost. At the end of the day, the Pacers made too many mistakes and they showcase why they have to improve their half court offense. And I don't know what they can do to improve that, but, you know, not trying to go back too many years, but like, this is the difference between like having like an Depot and a Sabonis that you don't have those kind of players on the team anymore. Um, you know, you couldn't play this fast pace with those two guys, the style that we played back then, but they were able to kind of slow things down a little bit and get you some half court offense. And I think now like we have a really fun style that we play, but we're just missing an extra piece. I think that can really help us get points in the half court. Now I would love to see Matherin develop into that and be like, quote-unquote, our DeMar DeRozan for this Pacers team to kind of get you some half-court offense when you need it. And I think he's on the trajectory to becoming that. But it's just tough right now because I think that this team is still trying to get a feel for one another. Obi Toppin, it was kind of a weird way that they played him. I think he ended up having the best plus-minus for the Pacers, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, plus-nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he showed some good things there. I'm surprised they didn't go back to him a little bit more just to bring some athleticism out there. But – um Yeah, because Aaron Neesmith, like, he had a great game against the Cavs, but he did struggle a little bit
3: offensively tonight. Fouled out as well. I I just think it was just kind of a rough night for Neesmith, and there'll be those highs and lows, but he obviously brings a lot to this team that you don't want to have to count on. Well, if Neesmith doesn't drop 20-plus points, I don't know. It's just he's not going to be that type of player for the Pacers. It's good. But for Obi Toppin, rebounded well, finished with eight rebounds. He did have four early in the first quarter, but – you know, he, he did some good things, had a, had a great putback slam. That that was awesome to see. Um, but for Matherin, we touched on it, 15 points. He went 6 of 6 from the free throw line, 4 of 11 from the field. I thought he had a, a stretch. I don't know. I guess it was in the fourth quarter where yeah. he was being more aggressive. He was, you know, getting some foul calls, was making some baskets. But I just think that he battled foul trouble early on, three, three fouls in the first half. Then they kind of took him out of it a little bit. But, but we talked about it a little bit. Jalen Smith. Jalen, I think he banged knees. Uh um, and we, we did not see him return. Yeah. And I think that Jalen, the Pacers really could have used him because Vucevic was just kind of he was he was getting to work in that in that fourth quarter. And I feel that you know Jalen never returned. I hope that everything's all right. I look forward to seeing some sort of update. But the Pacers also avoided when Ben McMatherin took that tumble. Yeah, that was right in, right into the basket. Uh, I think that could have been some whiplash neck shoulder anything like that could have happened he he shook it off was down for a little bit hit the two free throws it's good to see that everything's all right but if the Pacers had potentially lost Jalen Smith and Matherin what would have been uh the Pacers strength of depth would have disappeared real quick
2: yeah I mean that is where their their strength of depth does come into play a little bit because then you throw McConnell in there then maybe throwing a Daniel Tyson there and you feel like okay we're not taking that much of a step back because we do have players that are capable to fill the void of those guys you're not relying on like rookies or guys that are unseasoned veterans to come in there and play those minutes kind of like Cleveland had to do with Amani Bates getting in there with their second unit on Saturday night but I understand what you're saying um, the whole entire thing with Matherin was really nerve-wracking though when he landed on that stanchion he hit it pretty hard Oof. and he laid yeah. down for a minute and I was like I hope he's not in concussion protocol after this because that was a big hit and he came down and knocked two free throws down Levine ended up scoring a basket, and then he scored immediately after that. They kind of had some moments where they were trading buckets back and forth, and I thought, okay, let's see what he can do. And then after that, we really didn't see Matherin get too much more involved with the offense. So it's it's a learning process for this Pacers team. They're young, you know. We know we were going to go eighty-two and zero. I had somebody today at work ask me if they were going to go eighty-two and zero, and I said, yeah, why not? You know, I mean, obviously I know they're not going to, but I didn't want to get stuck in a long conversation about the Pacers, so I said, yeah, why not? Very and kept it moving but uh yeah it, the biggest thing here i'm looking at the stats from the game Flatchy, they ended up getting i think it was about six more free throw attempts than us yep that's that's a, a lot compared when you're when you lose by 7 and then you look at the points in the paint they outscored us by 10 in points in the paint held us to just 17 fast break points they only had 13 turnovers um we had 17 like you mentioned earlier so it was really just like one of those games where you're going to Forget about it. You're going to move on. You're going to be excited about Boston. Maybe this loss does give the Pacers some extra energy to refocus and get ready for that tough matchup against a Eastern Conference favorite in Boston, and maybe they go there and prove to, to Boston that they're not messing around and that they're uh, they're a tough team to play, because Boston, I think, last year, we played pretty good against them.
3: We did. We did. I, we might have only won one game, but we, we really pushed them in quite a few. So we gave Boston definitely a, a big challenge last year, and um I'm really excited to see this because I do think the Pacers will get up to say, okay, this isn't just any game. I mean, not to put a knock on Chicago, but they might've overlooked them tonight. I do not think they will overlook Boston. Uh, I think it could, if anything, maybe be the other way around, but this same Pacer, uh, same Boston team knows what the Pacers brought to them last year. But another thing I want to touch on, we have been complimenting so much of the ball movement, the assists, the Pacers were averaging, I believe it was 37 assists. Uh, in the first two games, just 26 tonight. Normally 26 could be solid for many teams, but the ball movement had been, you know, out of this world lately. So I think that that's something that you look at and you're like, man, it kind of came down to earth a bit. Despite, you know, Tyrese Halliburton having 13 assists, I just feel that McConnell was someone who, whether it was, you know, eight assists last game or, you know, Nembhard having 10 assists in, in, in game one, I just felt that there were other playmakers in the first two games Tonight, it was just Tyrese Halliburton. No one else had more than four assists, and the guy at four was Buddy Hill.
2: Yeah. And I felt like Buddy kind of struggled early on, too, and he got his Mm -hmm. rhythm after having a rough, you know, two to three minute stretch to start his little, uh, whenever he came into the game, his part of the rotation. But uh, quick, real quick, as we kind of uh, wrap things up here, Rick Carlisle after the game said, We got seduced a little bit into their pace and their tempo, thought that their guys played hard, but. They just didn't play as well. So not too much criticism from Carlisle. Bruce Brown followed up and said, I think we missed shots. It's going to happen. Um, I don't think we played up to our speed. So kind of what we talked about, they just didn't get into the style of play. They wanted to play, and Chicago dictated everything. And when you get into a rock fight, Fauci, unfortunately, you know that's what's going to happen. So if we were to say the good, the bad, and the ugly, I would say the good. You have anything they
3: played hard? I mean, for the, the good, yeah, played hard, I I guess. Uh yeah, I mean, they didn't roll over and die. I I would say they, they fought towards the end, just didn't work out. But th- this one was a little bit more of the bad and the ugly. And you know, th- there's there's no way to, to sugarcoat it. That that's just how it was. The Pacers <laughs> scored a hundred and five points that's after bad. being the team that led the NBA in scoring through the first two games. They had, they had scored 143 against Washington 125 against Cleveland and now just 105. I'm not going to be the guy who's saying if anything you know we peaked in game one and kind of came down from there because it's a long season of play but I think defensively you know took a step forward I guess maybe part of that is that this is Chicago but uh incomplete game for sure
2: yeah for sure so with that being said uh we're gonna go ahead and wrap this up we'll be back tomorrow with another episode we're going to do a little stock up stock down for you guys after three games into the season going to try and make that a weekly show maybe just do it as a segment but we're going to do it as a show by itself for halloween so hope you guys are
3: out having a great time doing that but Fachi, you go ahead and let people know where they can find us at on social media absolutely so you can find us on twitter at pacers pod stp you can find alex on twitter at alex golden nba i can be found on twitter at underscore f-a-c-c-i you can find us on Instagram at Pacers Pod STP. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Ladies and
2: gentlemen, if you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at youtube.com slash Setting the Pace of Pacers Podcast, where you will find all of our post game video recaps up and available for you to hear what happened in the game. And if you haven't already, please check out the blueandgolden.substack.com. Subscribe to my work, which is absolutely 100% free and I will be doing a segment pretty much on there every post game, doing a 10 things about the game that, that stood out to me. You'll hear some of that on the podcast, maybe some that I don't bring up, but definitely want to keep that consistency going of 10 things for each game. So you're going to get a lot of thoughts from me after the game's on there. But with that being said, Fachi, if you're excited for the Pacers to bounce back after a tough loss against the Bulls and surprise the world against Boston, then hit me with those three words. Let's go, Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast.
0: Sweeping every team. we gonna need a mop smooth.
1: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?